Ladies and gentlemen, hello. In this episode of The Wind Down, we're doing an industry focus. And in this one, we're talking about the accounting industry. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Welcome to The Wind Down, an afternoon podcast where two techie blokes sit down over a bowl of wine and chat about what's happening in the world of tech. Enjoy while Scott and Nick open up about their week in technology. Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to The Wind Down. I'm Nick and this is Scott. Hello, Scott. How are you? Hello, Nick. <laughs> well, greetings again. Greetings once again. Now, today, where are we? What are we drinking? We are in the, uh, the Blues Point Hotel. We are. Been here since 1864. We haven't, though. We no, 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 we came the year after. <laughs> so what are we drinking today, Scott? We've, we've, got, uh, they've, you know, they've got this lovely uh, Croton um, uh, Shiraz. It's a, it's a bottle from the Burge family out of the Barossa. And it's, uh, it's, I think it's where they've got their family homestead. It's not, not entirely clear, but it's, um, it's actually quite drinkable. It is quite drinkable. It's very nice, actually. It, it says it's very shareable, and I can sort of understand why. It certainly is. It's a lovely wine. Actually, it's lovely to come somewhere. So we've had lunch. It's been awesome, and yes. the wine's very nice. It's, it's, it's superb. So recommendation on this one. Um, but today we're talking about technology and accounting firms. Yes, yes. As we look into and also going forward a few specific industries and how is technology adopted, where is it being used, I suppose where is it not being used, and um, and also some just some examples of um, yeah things we've seen. So yeah, yes. I think it's impor- important to realise you know different different types of industries have different you know security constraints and performance constraints hmm. and all the things we in development call non-functional requirements that's which right are things about how things should work it's very different for each industry so we thought we'd do some wind downs where we focused on specific what we call verticals or hmm. industries and today it's the accounting technology and accountancy firms so accounting in particular has got a very strong focus on data and personal information mm-hmm. Your average accountant's going to have you know, like tax return data or other compliance data, business data around you know, um, annual reports and financial. They'll have companies, they'll have work papers, they'll yeah. have receipts, they'll have. There's all sorts of data they have. All, all of that data, though, is about their clients, mm-hmm. and it all is what you call you know, like private data. It's all confidential mm-hmm. uh, and not something they just share. So they've got to be able to treat it and you know, protect it accordingly. Well, not only that, they're governed by regulations. So not only can they not share it, but they need to keep some of it for seven years, some of it for Ooh. longer than that, depending yes. on where it is. But it's not just you, you have to make best efforts to keep it. They have to keep that data. So there are some real requirements on, you know, both in the, all of the really the professional services firms, but accounting is one of them where they've got to be very careful about data they're custodians of, mm. plus data about their own business. It's of course. Not, it's, they've got the same data as everybody else. They've got their own P&L and balance sheets and CRM <laughs> and all of those lovely things, but they've also got that for all of the taxpaying entities they look after. Makes sense. Mm. Cool. So, so what, what applies? Well, what applies? Lots of things apply, um, but certainly... Um, uh, across there, there's the um, uh, uh, the security privacy principles because yes. a lot of what they have is um, uh, personally identifiable information, and it goes okay. a step further than that. Most accountants will have tax file numbers for of each course. of their entities, and we don't want to get those to get out because there are ways quite easily of you know doing identity theft or making other things happen if you've got a tax file number. So that's I suppose important. you could open up bank accounts, you could... You, you could, and you could also fake or? returns with the ATO yes. and get paid out, which we don't want to do. They've also obviously got bank account information. They'll have you know, information about how much people earn 
and how much they say they earn. Um, and there's all sorts of information they carry. Some of it sits in databases, some of it sits in files provided by clients. So that could be PDFs or spreadsheets or all sorts of things. So they've got this morass of data. And even the smallest accounting firms tend to have at least a terabyte of this type of data kicking around. It's That's quite interesting. a lot. And you've got to, you know, this is stuff you have to protect, otherwise... You know, you, you've got enough details out there for things to happen. I mean, um, strangely enough, at four o'clock this morning, I got an SMS from Afterpay confirming this was my code I had to use to confirm this transaction. And I will. You weren't well, doing well, stuff I've, with Afterpay at four o'clock this morning, so no, I've never done anything with Afterpay ever. <laughs> um, but um, and that was sort of part of it. That you know, someone's obviously picked up my mobile number from somewhere and whacked it into a form to see if it works, and then found out, oh, they've now got to go and get the data that was sent to it. So security is a big concern, but it's not just storing data. It's how they receive it as well. So when we first started working with accounting firms in 2010, they were doing things that you kind of go, oh my God now. So Mm. for example, on their invoices to clients, they had somewhere where somebody could write in their credit card number, the name, the expiry date and the CVV. You remember that? That's really kind of really bad because you'd stick that in an envelope and that's fine. The post can be considered secure, but then it might sit on someone's desk or it might sit in a paper file somewhere and and that puts that data at real risk. So from that point of view, accountants really need to think about their PCI DSS or the card industry, Mm. you know, um, at least the self-assessment if you're handling credit card numbers, plus all the other stuff they're doing. So look, security's a massive concern. And it's really difficult because while accountants are accountancy professionals, they're not IT or information security professionals. Some of them aren't running very big businesses. They're not running very sophisticated Mm. businesses, yet they're suddenly the custodian of all these data. And it's it's not a responsibility you can abrogate someone else. Yeah, I I, I do get the feeling that the smaller organisations are having a more difficult time Mm. keeping up with all the regulations and technology and requirements around data. And it's not because you're small, right? And it's not because you're less smart than someone else. No, but It's because in a bigger org, I can have people who are more dedicated to being across those sorts of things. You could hire a a full-time security Hmm. policy person, for example. And and the big accounting firms absolutely have those. Yes, that makes Um, sense. I remember when I I started, my first job was in an accounting firm as the IT person, and we had 65 staff. In, in our business. And I was there when they hired their first compliance officer. Yeah. And the compliance officer then went with a fine tooth comb around everything in the business and started writing policies and procedures mm. and tightening it up from this really mm. you know, thing that started with four people, suddenly grown to be 65 and they needed to actually make it far more rigorous. And that, that company's still in business. So, still doing well. so there's a bit more to IC than just have you turned it off and on again. Yeah. Okay. That certainly is. <laughs> okay, so we know we know about the Australian privacy principles. Yes. APP 11. Yep. In particular, which deals with the security, security. of personal yep. information. Okay. So that means, what that, what that means to an accounting firm, um, and obviously we're not lawyers and this isn't advice, this is general in nature, it's what we've been told. Um, what it means to an accounting firm is if there is a breach mm. of the information that you hold on your clients, more than likely you're going to need to notify the um, Office of the Information... Uh, uh, Office of the Australian Information Commissioner. Yes. OAIC. And from there, you'll need to notify your clients. Yes, of course. And given that in the accounting industry, trust is such an important thing, Mm. um, 
that gets really quite scary that you then may have to publicly notify your clients that you'd had a breach. And I know of accountants, I know lots of accountants who've had that kind of a breach, mm. right? Uh, one accountant I knew who used to do payroll for a bunch of different organizations, oh, okay. and they once sent one pay slip to the wrong person by accident, yes. total human error, and they had to notify. And that's, that's becoming more and more common as organizations are understanding the privacy principles a lot better. When you look at the stats that are reported every six months, yeah, yeah there's, there's, there's an increasing number of reports, although a lot of them, um, there's also a lot of reports of single exposures. Yep. And when you dig down into it, it's like sent email to wrong address or the, that the, sort of thing. The whole thing is, I'm, I'm not sure you should be in a position where you're creating this pay slip and an individual's then sending it in email to someone else. I think that, that opens up human yeah. error. Um, there's technology that does that. Mm. And or allows yeah. that. Well, absolutely. And, and there are payroll systems that automatically email the employees and, yeah. and, and all yeah. of those sorts of things. And so you've got to look for areas to minimise human interaction and human error with those things so you're not in a breach situation. So, okay. So let's, let's look at that and also look at all these policies and systems and processes have been created and then we sent everybody home. <laughs> we did. Okay. We did. Well, not just that. I, I think in accounting, there's a lot of transactional um, mm. uh, lower level work that needs to be done. And so there's been quite a lot of offshoring in the accounting well, that's true industry. Too. That's true too. So it's not just having people working from home, it's having people mm. working from other countries. Um, so that, securing that data is a really big problem and it's it's tricky you, you can't just say don't click there you've, you've literally got to put systems or something in place that says i'm not allowed to download that data to a, a usb key or i'm not allowed to take anything into the room well, where the computer we, we, is we, or we had a we had a client very early on who had their own servers and hosted remote desktops hmm. and like most remote desktops installations that aren't really well managed they got hacked Right? Mm. That somebody was into all their systems, they had a notifiable breach, it was really bad. So, so you go, okay, I'll secure the data, I'll put it in remote desktops. Well, that's not quite a solution yet. Right? You need to really think very carefully about how you, you make those things happen. And then you might do all of that and find that you've got a bunch of clients with their zero files that all your staff can see, and they can get to that from any computer. Well, that, yeah. And there so, are ways around that too, by the okay. way. But So, if we look at that, is data locality an important issue? Yes. It's really fascinating. I, I love the legals of this. I, went, I once did an a, a, um, engagement with um, a big property software development company that shall remain nameless, just because it hasn't been long enough. And um, they were very nervous about moving to the cloud because they were mm. very scared about where's my data located. Um, they spent, I think, four weeks in with Microsoft Legal before they decided it, it was fine. Mm. Um, Data locality is a really fascinating thing. Um, if you, I, I haven't seen many of these argued in court yet, but I, I think, you know, where is my data stored? Well, nobody's really got any idea. Right? You can't no. see it. It's That's not right. physical. Best case, it's some magnetic fields on some spinning disks somewhere. Worst case, it's just quantum states in solid state disks. Right? So, <laughs> so where is your data? Yeah. Where is your data stored? Um, it is a fascinating thing. And it's not just where it's stored, it's where it transits through. Mm. And you cannot guarantee no. that all data stays in Australia. And it's, I think there's been a lot, of, a lot of information, but also perhaps misinformation about this locality argument. Um, I remember years ago when 
Um, the whole concept was uh, a bank's finance. You've got to store your data in Australia. There's no, no option. Just don't. There's no, there's no discussion about it. You've just got to do it. So we, we sort of looked at it. And go, oh, okay. So the banks have to store locally. They have to do. Okay. They can. There's ways to work that out. Then all of a sudden, you start to hear things about, you know, ABC Bank or you know, DEF Bank is using um, Amazon for something. Then all of a sudden, you find out they're a, te- they're a, um, a case study somewhere. Oh, we've got like 500 applications in Amazon. So, well, where's that data stored? And all of a sudden, you start to look at this, and it's well, you can't possibly have your data. So it depends on well, in a what way, data also, it is. You want to you want to store data in multiple places to make it secure. Well, that's, that's another yes. thing. One of the um, um, as you were talking about that, you know, where is my data stored? It's it's really fascinating thinking about how. Yeah, smaller organisations really get hyper-focused on this, where's my data stored, yet will do, and not all of them, but I've seen some really crazy actions out there. I once, I once, yeah, we were doing migration to a practice management solution for an accounting firm, and said, some stage we're going to need a list of all your clients and all their details so we can upload it. Next thing I know, I get an email with a spreadsheet. Yeah, it's yeah. all of the data. It's unencrypted. It's sent across. Uh, it's just, uh, well, so, at least they didn't send it to a, a random Gmail account or something in another country. They could have got it wrong. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those. But, yeah, so data storage is really only important. I think the only cases I've seen where people really care about it is in defense. National security is where the concept of the nation is, is, is that important. I have yet to see. It's like... Mm. Do I need to wet sign a document? There's very, very few scenarios now where I need to sign with a pen. There's very few scenarios where you have to have your data located in country. So just yeah. make sure you're across the regulations. They change all the time. Uh, I will say that having played around a little while ago with um, different types of uh, automated PowerPoints, you know, little little adapters you plug into the wall socket that says yeah. you can write and control them, turn it off and on. We, we were looking for something that did a certain thing for a certain application for a client. Mm. Um, and there um, a number of them were actually built off the same sort of factory framework out of China. It just spits these out in white labels and puts yep. a different logo on them. And then you find the, the control panel for all of these, the cloud control panel is actually based on a server in China that these things report back to. And they can, but it's all secure because the device will VPN back into this little control panel yeah, but to secure it. We, we, they just reported this morning that TikTok on your phone, which is Chinese owned, yes is sending 30 times more data than it should about your phone back to China. Well, they've gotten by with it this long. They've done well, haven't they? Yeah, I've uninstalled but, TikTok yeah. this morning, but there well, you go. I didn't install it in the first place. <laughs> um, but, here's the, but here's the thing. You've, you've, okay, now, you've now got... Well, you've, you've now got and bought a little electronic you know, uh, wall plug adapter. Yep. You've shoved it in your wall, and you've just connected your network that you're on Wi-Fi with to a VPN to a server in China. Yep. And you've got an active VPN connection to a remote overseas country. Awesome. That if they made the hardware. They could route data through it if they really wanted to. They all sorts to. of yep. things. It's, their, it's their, their firmware code. So, Mind you, half the others had hard-coded administration passwords. Admin, just, admin, admin. Oh, oh, absolutely. Oh, depressing. You just looked at... Oh. So, so that's that's cool. That's all horrible things. What about yes. what about some guidance? I okay. The Essential 8's a good start to yeah. place to start. The secure you, store, yeah. scores. I, I watched... Um, Scott this week gave a presentation to a customer on the Microsoft Secure Score. And the one bit he missed was you don't have to score 100%. That is true. 
<laughs> that is true. You do not have to score 100%. Um, there's actually ways to score 130%. Yes. Uh, it's, it's a funny sort of um, way to add things up. Uh, so, look, uh, for all of those, um, all the people using Office 365 or Microsoft 365 in the, in the business sense, uh, there is a thing called Secure Score. And it basically goes through and looks at your tenancy and says, here are all the settings that, in theory, can be locked down and should be locked down for security reasons. Yeah. But like if you've got a house, you should lock your door, put some locks on your windows, maybe put bars on a window, all these different sorts of things you could possibly do. Yep. And it allocates a small percentage of a score to each one of these. And then, then it looks at your tenancy and gives you a score out of, I'll say 100, but it's not 100, um, just to say, look, here's how sort of secure you are. And... And of the types of businesses in your uh, that you are, like if you're an accounting business, all others that we know about in the accounting industry, sort of a scoring about here, you are either here above them or here below them. Um, you get a feel for where you sit, for and you can measure it by you know, size of business, industry, and all sorts of things. That's a, that's a cool thing. So it's those sorts of things are cool, but you could go all the way to ISO 27001 and others. And I know there are accounting firms out there with that accreditation. For most, yes. is it a bridge too far? So, beyond secure score, and we also look at Essential 8 mm-hmm. being the, the, uh, the simpler version of here are eight key items and three maturity levels on each item that you can achieve just to get all the basics sorted out. Yep. Um, ISO is, um, it, it is certainly a great standard and they've got a lot of good information in there, but it is also a very meaty standard. Yes. There's a lot of material there. Don't expect to sit down an hour later be accredited. You'll spend months and months of work going on this, getting policies in place. And it's not just about writing the policy. It's then about implementing the policy across your organisation. And, and we're, that, back, we're back to the fact that this is out of reach for smaller orgs. You don't have the manpower. Yeah. But in bigger orgs, it's, it's, it's what your compliance team yeah, should we, be up you, to. You can't just write a one-page policy on, well, you, you know, we're going to do things this way, make sure it happens and then just emailed out to staff. You've, you've actually got to do some training. There's change management involved to explain why. You've then got to look at, okay, um, when an auditor comes in, and you will get audited for, for ISO um, every couple of years in general, um, you'll actually get looked um, They'll start looking at, okay, do you have the policy in place for this? Great. Now show, give me a couple of staff that are using it so I can go and talk to them and get their understanding of it. And then three and years later, you're going to get, now how good a policy is this for this yes, type this of is thing? It. Once you've got the policies in place, they then start tightening them all down to, yeah. great, well, how did you improve this? And how have you demonstrated that that improvement is now in use across your organisation? So you're on this continual improvement path. Um, it's not a small amount of work by any means. No, no. And, um, and then... You've always got the the biggest, you know, the biggest elephant in the room. The but we've always done it that way. Oh, change yes. never works <laughs> here. <laughs> That's right. We, we've always carried these papers from here to here in this old wheelbarrow, um, not realising that the papers weren't actually in use anymore. Yes. But it's been happening for thirty years, so why not do that? Yes. Um, look, it's. Um, Having a good look at your business practices and your processes, probably more important than your, your practices at the moment, uh, your processes and working out, well, one, what are they? Are they effective? Mm-hmm. And in general, most, most organisations have an effective process. Otherwise, they can't produce an end result and sell yes. something or do whatever it is they do. And they know how it works, right? Yeah. They may have people there. No, no. I've walked into firms where, you know, they actually, I've walked into firms where they have three processes for doing the same thing, but many firm, firms are yeah. funny. You know, you work the way your partner wants to. You all work in silo teams. There's that. But they have tried and tested approaches that everybody knows how to do, 
and it's scary to change those. It is. And look, people don't like change. And that's why it's not so much, and this is the same thing with ISO, it's not just about having the policy. Half of the problem is in change management. Organisational change yeah. management is a complex thing. Yes. And it's not about technology. No, not at it, all. It's about how do you roll out changes to people? How do you explain to them why we're doing it? How do you show them that the old way is taking twice as long and or something, yeah. whatever it is? So and there's, there's you know, and people say, well, why would it change? And hmm. I think there's two answers to that. Two big, broad, macro answers. Obviously, there's lots of small things. One of the macro answers is new generation, modern firms, using as much as they can ah. with the latest technology, need less people to achieve the same outcome. Yes. Number one. Number two, it gets harder and harder and harder to recruit when you become more and more legacy as an mm. organisation. Because the young people just don't want to come play. You're right. I mean, if, if, if I said I was starting an accounting firm today and we're going to use this new system called, you know, a double ledger. Oh, uh, but accounting. <laughs> and write stuff in books. Yes. And tell clients, we want you to fax us through every day your results and we will write them in this journal and we'll do it in the, you know, the whole double accounting standard. And at the end of the month, we'll get a calculator out because we got rid of our abacus and add it all up and tell you what you made. And halfway through the next month. Yes, that's right. Okay. Um, and yeah, you look at that, and that's quite a viable approach for the 1700s or 1800s or whatever it was. Well, I was going to say, do you have Ebenezer Scrooge at Christmas time coming and talking to you, you know? <laughs> that's right. No, that was deemed to be too efficient. <laughs> um, but if you go and try to sell that concept of, look, it's a perfectly good process because it's effective. It does work. But no graduate or um, you know, junior person in the accounting industry today is going to look at that and go, oh, that's where I want to be. Bring yeah. it on. Come on, I want to go there. No, they're going to go and do something that's using the, the well, latest unless, tech or toys or uh, whatever. They, they will if they're good. Well, the, they the, can, the other yeah. issue is you, you end up not struggling necessarily to attract people. You struggle to attract talent. Yeah, okay. And the more talented your team and the more we give them yeah. things, the, the better life will be, I think. So you're, you're thinking that the... Uh, the, the person, I won't, I won't say the lazy person, but the, the person who's perhaps got other things in life to do and just wants to go somewhere, press a few buttons during the work, during the work yep. day, get a few things done or write some, yeah, I can go and plot along and do that because I'm really wanting to do this other thing. That's the sort of Not person. the type of people I want to hire, but, but no, you know, people no. want to do. But um, this was a thing recently where I, I saw um, in one of the articles that there's a mass exodus of the new generation of staff mm -hmm. out of older firms that are not changing their ways yep. and they're going and setting up their own firms at young ages purely focused on modern technology now, the, well the, the next issue you've got right, is we've got that not only are young people setting up firms on modern technology but the ATO is now too so oh, and has been for quite a while it has it has but whereas 10 years ago I'd have told my kids to go seek out an accountant to get their tax return done they yeah, might as well just go and do it. They're, they're probably yeah. less likely to trip up if they go and do it using the online service from the ATO, well, which is already pre-filled. They're not that complex. They're not running businesses. They might as well yeah, do it yeah. that way. Well, that's just it. My, my son has to do his tax return now. Yeah. And um, he said, what do I do? And I'm thinking, well, do I send him to our accountants? But ultimately, all of his revenue that he's earned is now in the tax portal. You've got a couple of basic expenses, really nothing. Yep. He can type a couple of numbers in and go click. Uh, my, my, daughter's, my daughter walked in the other day. She says, here's my refund, right? She, she'd already done. Yeah. It, it wouldn't think, it wouldn't cross their minds even mm. to go to an H&R blog because they're used to doing all of their interfacing with everything online. Mm. 
why is the ATO any difference? That's a big risk. Hmm. That's a risk, risk for a, a traditional compliance-based accounting firms, and I've been saying this for 10 years, and it's starting to come true, that the ATO are going to go in. It's not the other firms. It's not the fact that yeah. you know, it, it's going to get shrunk and shrunk. The ATO is just going to take that business away. So there's a point later on that we're going to talk about, which is bookkeeping. Mm -hmm. But it may seem better just to squeeze it in quickly here, and that is that um, the uh, American Bookkeepers Association, or the, I've got the exact name of it now, but they, they had a big, um, a big section on their website, and it basically said, of the two million-odd bookkeepers in the US, um, this role or this concept probably won't be around in the next 10 years. Having so, someone I, just to type numbers into an application. I, I, yeah, I think those. I think that's those things are always. Oh, there'll still be bookkeepers I, for there will be. ages I, and I ages, know. but the prevalence of them is going to decrease. The, you know, yeah. how many businesses now just do all their own bookkeeping in Zero or QuickBooks Online and and really don't think it, about oh, it? And it, how much smarter are those apps becoming? So it, it wasn't the um, it wasn't the disappearing of bookkeeping. Yep, it was the um, the reduction in. Uh, the amount of work that would be available to a bookkeeper as a job yes. role. I mean, you look at us, what we do expenses, we get an app, we go click, click, there's a photo of it, submit, run away. It's automatically analysed, it's put in there and just needs someone to approve it. Yeah, so <laughs> click approve. Yeah, no, I, I, I get it, right? So I do the same thing. So the next phase of that, and this is also in the Ford projection, says all your invoices and all your purchase orders and everything will just be automatically understood and pumped into well, the system. I, I think, and this is where it gets interesting, machine learning is about giving computers lots of data, labeling that data so they can predict where things mm. go. Now, if you think about using an accounting product, every time you reconcile a transaction and assign it to a report code or assign it to somewhere in your chart of accounts, you are teaching a machine learning algorithm how to do that. And the big ML algorithms that people like the ATO and Xero undoubtedly, undoubtedly have are going to get better and better and better and better and better at doing that to the point where we don't need humans to do it anymore. Uh, y y yes and no. I'm, and this is, the, this is the thing with the bookkeeping as well. Um, the, the thing was, um, don't go into bookkeeping. That's, that's not the message they were saying. The message they were saying, if you are a bookkeeper now, start to go to the, more, the next level up. Start to work out why is the organisation doing it that way. Add that value-add position of not just how much to type some numbers in, why are you claiming those items that way? Here is yeah. a more effective here's, here's way. Here's a bunch for you. of reporting. Here's some analytics. Oh, look! Yes. Looks like sales will be this next month. You should do this, these things. The, the consulting and advisory services, yep. which also says then the accountants who are the next level up can then go and do more advanced consulting and advisory services. Yes. The, yes, the number so certainly of them, if you look at the big yeah. accounting businesses, most of their business now is advisory. Yeah, and look, I'm, I'm in a number of um, the, the mentor groups around the IT industry, and when we talk to um, um, some smaller, even some larger companies mm -hmm. there, every now and then there's this, um, oh, we were going to do this project or something, but then we worked out we're either going to pay too much tax, or this R&D was going to do this, and we said, well, hang on, we, we've done that sort of thing in the past, and this is what we did to address that problem. Um, it wasn't overly complex, but it seemed to work, and it was all in line, and blah, blah, blah. And they said, well, oh, how'd you know about that? I said, well, we asked our accountants about it. Yeah. And, but the, uh, a lot of the people say, well, we only use our accountants for um, you know, tax returns yep. and for producing a financial statement at the end of the year. So we'll ask them a bit more. But I would throw that around and say, I found people that are, are worse at marketing than I am. Yes. Accountants. <laughs> um, yeah, good they, point. They, they are very, very focused in their area. They are very good at what they do, but terrible marketers.
Yeah, they are because they're focusing their area. I know, the do. Software developers are bad marketers. You know, anybody yeah. who's highly skilled at certain areas is yes. bad at marketing. Yeah, that is true too. Yes. So, um, so I'll tell you what. Um, a bit, bit of news stuff, and this is because some of your news they're not oh, anymore. No, I know. Yes. <laughs> um, so we we saw recently that ANZ um, went to KKR and said, "Hey, we want to buy MYOB off you." Uh, KKR being the uh, invent uh, the venture capital. Yeah. You know, uh, ANZ stopped fund. that today and yes. have now gone and bought the banking arm of Suncorp Bank. Yeah, which is there's an interesting thing. Mm. Oh, let's go buy little MYOB sitting in the corner over here, and then all of a sudden yes. change their mind. We're going to go buy Suncorp instead. So oh, oh okay, well, that's a bit of a bigger a bigger trend but it yes. is it is what it is they did it I think but what do you what do you think though about a bank buying owning, an accounting owning product owning the accounting product that a majority well a lot I wouldn't say majority but a lot of businesses use do you want your bank to be that close to your data there, or there are geography there, there are geographies where the tax authority ships accounting software but if you think about it if you have everything with the bank, mm. and the bank also has your accounting software, yes. Theoretically, what what do you have I, to do I, anymore? Yeah, there probably isn't much more. Yeah. The the trick becomes then, and I've, I've been thinking about this a little bit. The 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 bank or the tax authority yeah. will apply a certain type of ruling. Yes. To everybody the same way. Like yep. If you fall into this broad bucket, we're yep. going to treat A, B, and C this way. Yep. Gee, I hope that works for you. Whereas, yes, whereas an accountant will be more agile and should be across. But the tax law is very complex, right? It's hideously yeah. complex. It's, 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 it's crazily complex. And to understand all of the accounting principles, et cetera, et cetera, and be highly skilled in the tax law, I think is... Oh, it's a massive ask, no, it's good. and people very good at that are amazing, by the way. Yeah. That's why you have specialist accountants or specialist financial yeah. people. But, but I've always said that the, the, the tax laws, it's like one page on what you're supposed to pay. There's and the rest your, of it tax is all exceptions. It's all yeah. the exceptions. Oh, but if you've done this, we'll give you this, this, and this. Yeah. And if you've done that, you can write it off over blue. And if yeah. you've done this investment here, falling in between these dates on this thing for this block of land in this state, blah, 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 because there were some incentives to do mm. that. And that's where all the messes become. Yeah, I'm, go back to half I'm a, a big, page. I'm a big, I'm <laughs> a big fan of very simplified. I, it's awful for accountants. Uh, I'm a big fan of a really simplified taxation. Let's just get rid of all the exceptions and grazy stuff and just go. It's twenty percent on everything that gets transacted through the banking no. system, and you never see it. Um, Joe um, Bjorki Peterson tried that twenty-five percent flat tax rate. No questions asked. I wasn't I wasn't around when he was, and, I, and um, I, I, I see people react with total fear when they hear his name. I've got no idea oh, why. He was the uh, premier of the Queensland, Queensland for, yes. I don't know, 500 years or something. Um, no, he was around for quite... He was, he, was at least, he was at least in for 20 years. Yes. He was there for a long time. Yep. He seems to do a pretty decent job, and, uh, well, Queensland's still there. And, um, yeah, it certainly is, so yeah. I don't think it was going anywhere. Um, <laughs> anyway. No, that's, that's, that's fascinating. Anyway, moving past Moving that. right along. So... You, we've talked about hiring great talent as an accounting firm. Yes. And that's harder when you don't have up-to-date technology. Mm. We've talked about, you know, um, being competitive. And most, to be fair, most accounting practices are competitive because they're in a specific area rather mm. than they offer a distinctly True. different service. But certainly if I'm shopping around three or four accountants, I'm now thinking of price. Um, so being able to deliver more with less is, is always good. But I think as 
this all shakes itself out, one of the things that's a competitive advantage is do you just do compliance or can you actually come and help my business be better? And in order to do that, you've got to be the shining light, right? You've got to, accountants in my mind should be leading the way from a technology perspective because mm. that is their core tool. From what I've seen with a lot of the other IT companies I get involved with, I wish the accounting firm would take a more proactive stance in helping them a little bit, more than just, hey, we'll do this, or here's your Baz or GST or whatever, more about what are you doing? How are you running your business? How about this? Have you thought about this? Here is a more tax efficient way to do this. And well, maybe, and I think I think you're right, but maybe maybe accountants aren't being trained to be that to, to, consulting to, or to be that consulting thing and consulting is very different to doing compliance oh it is um, and it's normally something the partners do in a firm because they're more in the sales area but mm. do you stop hiring yeah, accountants do you start hiring consultants accountants okay. do yes, but people yes. who can consult I don't know the answer to it by the way it's, no, no. So we, uh, and this has been our, this, this argument has been going since before I looked at the accounting industry in 2010 Way beyond. What is the balance between advisory and compliance? I think mm. the jury's in and compliance is not a growing so business. Yeah. Yet there are accountants out there, mm. like guys who, who put themselves out, like Paul Meisner, who turn around and say, you know, I run a practice on um, compliance only and I'm doing fairly well. I'm not sure Paul's running his practice anymore, which may say something. But, but they do go out and say those things. So I, I don't yeah. know the answer. I'm not an accountant. You know, it, it's interesting. In the um, in the IT industry, at least, there's this concept of uh, type of business, and um, there's one called a lifestyle business, which is you're, you've got maybe 10 people. There's an owner and some people and some staff. It's very comfortable. They've got a set group of customers, and they know they can actually get a healthy living just maintaining that. Mm -hmm. Therefore, they're not really interested in growing so much. They're not really interested in, you know. And when we've seen, um, seen some of these businesses, it's a bit like, what, what have you put a salesperson on? I said, well, but then they'd sell stuff. Yeah. And so, yeah. Oh, but then we'd probably have to hire more people to service what they sold. It would be sold. bigger and we'd be growing. And scary, yeah. Then, then I've gone, but they're right on this boundary of, if you've ever seen business sizes, there's a, a size in every different um, sort of industry where businesses can grow to a certain level. And let's say it's 10 or 15 people before you've then got to put a manager on. Mm. And that manager doesn't generate any revenue. It's a cost to the business to help run things and to because there's just too many moving parts for one person to keep on top of it, and that's the next hurdle. And there's another one that kicks in when the businesses are well, was it about 45 to 50 people or so? You've actually got to when you're starting to insert layers of management, but those layers of management they don't bring in a single dollar of and revenue. And you have to pay them more. You got to pay them. <laughs> Expect yes. a good salary. Yes, that's right. Whereas you could just stay the size you are and take that salary yep. on top of yours and just pay happy days. Yeah, I can buy an extra gold bar every month. I can blah blah blah, whatever it is, and hey. Yeah, no, it is. It is. It is fascinating. But you know, I think wrapping that all up because we're over thirty-five minutes. So just, we're doing well. Bonus. We're doing well. Um, I, I think yeah, there are legislative and regulatory requirements on accounting firms that you're going to have to apply technology to. Yeah, I, I think going forward, you're not going to have much of a choice, really. Yeah. Coupled with that, there's huge opportunities for automation and improving what you do mm. using technology today and things coming up on the horizon. So it's worthwhile thinking of those. Mm. And hey, if you were to take your practice 
and make it you know highly technologically advanced and really streamlined and moving really well what a great advisor you'd be to all your clients oh, who are also desperate yep. to do the same thing absolutely cool that's that's great nick that was fun <laughs> ladies and gentlemen thank you so much thank you very much yes <laughs> if you do like what you see make sure you give us a like make sure you subscribe and um, leave a comment so there's a topic you'd like us to discuss it's been the wind down thank you so much bye see ya